Welcome to the Simply Youth Podcast, where the U in youth stands for you. Join us in chatting with some of the most successful Lebanese figures. Follow in their footsteps to write your own story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Simply Youth Podcast. Today, uh, you are in for a treat because we are joined with one of the most unique NGOs in Lebanon. Since 2011, March has firmly called for social cohesion and the protection of personal freedoms in Lebanon. Then they involved to tackle conflict resolution in certain targeted cities such as Tripoli and others in order to rehabilitate the youth. So please welcome Mrs. Kendra Majari, a project coordinator at March. Uh, so do you have anything to add about March and your work in this prominent NGO? Uh, so hi guys, thank you for having me. Thank you for all the nice things you said about our organization. Um, as you mentioned, uh, Lilia, we're an organization that works on promoting social cohesion. We primarily work with youth. We're a youth-led organization. Uh, Our work involves uh, youth from different marginalized communities in Lebanon. We focus primarily on, uh, you know, bridging gaps between communities, building bridges where, you know, uh, there's a lack of. And uh, we do so through a variety of different projects. And, uh, you know, I'm assuming we'll talk about more in detail. But uh, essentially, we're currently, you know, working on multiple fronts. One of which is, uh, you know, the, the the extension of our vocational training through our uh, our social initiative Betco, that is currently aiding with the rehabilitation works uh, as part of Beirut relief efforts. So, like you organize many workshops, especially in the north, in order to teach young people many important skills, such as graphic design and coding. What was the outcome of these workshops, and what is the importance of such initiatives in less fortunate people? So um, I'm glad you asked this question because we we typically, you know, I think people typically just see the outputs and they don't really see the rationale behind what we do. When we originally, you know, designed our program and integrated vocational training as one of the primary pillars, our rationale was very simple. In order to allow people to change the, the course of their life and become, become agents of change within their communities, we need to allow them to access better opportunities. And to do so, you need to give them the tools to access better opportunities. So we believe that providing them with the skills and the crafts to be able to provide them with with the employment opportunities is essential. So as you know, when we initially started, you know, construction, graphic design, it was through a pilot project we had at the time, which was the rehabilitation of a former demarcation line and a former marketplace in Tripoli between the neighborhoods of Bibit Tabbani and Jabal Mahsin. What we tried to do was allow these youth to take, uh, you know, t- to take charge of the, the narrative and to rebuild a marketplace that they had contributed in destroying. But what was the like, initial response of these teenagers who have never seen like, similar initiatives in these like, kind of areas? Were they very, very responsive or not? Was it hard to engage with so- them? So it's interesting you ask because just to clarify the type of you know communities we work with. So as I mentioned, we work in marginalized communities. We work in communities that um, you know are are uh, have been greatly neglected and have been greatly disregarded by uh, the infrastructural or the developmental map of the country. Uh, we work with communities that you know have been affected by political-based and sectarian-based conflict. So initially, what we wanted to do was. Uh, you know, create a counter narrative to division and uh, segregation and and hate. We wanted to create a collective narrative that would bring together uh, different communities, specifically in Tripoli, where you know there are two communities 
who were at war for a really long time, which is the community for sectarian reasons and sectarian motives and ideological reasons. Um, so what we tried to do was create a common narrative that would bridge the gaps of sectarianism and would bridge the gaps of political divide. So when we first you know, entered the area, uh, we entered with a pilot project that was called Theater for Reconciliation. The goal behind this was to actually uh, bring together youth who had participated in the clashes in the past, so ex-fighters, and help them, you know, participate in a play that was inspired by their lives. So essentially the play was going to tell their stories and their side of the story for the first time, uh, you know, away from the bias of the media and, you know, politics. So it was very challenging because when you tell, you know, 16 young men from the area that, listen, for once we're going to listen to you and we're going to give you a platform to express yourself. Um, it's it's very it's a very foreign concept to them because they had never given they were never given this opportunity, and it's a very challenging concept for them because they have a lot of walls that they've built and they have a, a lot of apprehension in sharing their story. So there was a lot of walls that we had to deconstruct. There was a lot of fear, but once we we managed to you know show them that we were genuinely interested, we we listened. We really just listened. And this gave them the opportunity to let down their guard and really share with us a huge piece of who they were. Yeah, it's really interesting because I'm pretty sure that all of these teenagers have lots of stories to share because we've lived, lived a very hard life in these kind of areas. It's really interesting also that you're using art as a universal language for self-expression. So like you're using art as a way for conflict resolution. And you think it has been successful. Have you seen kind of improvement within these teenagers, within these marginalized youth? Yes. So just to clarify as well, the population we work with doesn't really fall under the teenager category. We work with people who are between the ages of 18 and 35. So they're not really teenagers. They're young adults and even adults. Um, we, you know, we definitely think that art plays a very important part uh, in our program. It's a very uh, cathartic tool that allows uh, our, our target audience to heal. It allows them to uh, express themselves. It allows them to cope. It allows them to, um, you know, tap uh, tap into certain uh, certain places within themselves. It allows them to channel their emotions positively. So I think that our entire experience with art throughout the years and the way that we've integrated different forms of art, whether it's theater or whether it's painting or whether it's whatever it may be, music. We've always allowed art to to be to act as a tool because these people really genuinely just seek to be heard. And I think that um, once we allow them to do so, once we allow them to see the potential they have and really tap into the different skills and talents they have, this is where they flourish. And once they see that they're able to flourish, this is a chain effect. It's a domino effect of, of change and of, you know, uh, of bridges that are being built very organically between them. Because you know that, as you mentioned, art is a universal language. So talking about art, Lebanon poses many obstacles uh, against self-expression, but you have conducted multiple research papers on the Lebanese censorship system. So can you briefly describe how this system interferes with very important values such as freedom of speech and expression? So as you mentioned, uh, Lilian, we originally, when we, when we founded the NGO in 2011, one of our first projects, you know, was, was focused on freedom of expression. And we continue to have a lot of activities associated with freedom of expression and censorship in Lebanon. Um, I think that one of the primary issues um, when it comes to state censorship is that a lot of the values that the, the constitution 
clearly states and clearly uh, clearly proclaims are not respected in practice. And a lot of the laws that we have in place are very vague and very arbitrary and are very subject to interpretation. Um, and unfortunately, in a country where there are a lot of political biases and there's a lot of intertwined political agendas, sometimes the ambiguity of the laws we have can be used against the public and against um, you know, artists in general, whether it be uh, people who uh, publicize certain uh, writings, whether it be uh, people who work in cinema, whether it be theater artists. So art in general is very subject to, um, to this, uh, this form of censorship. Unfortunately, again, the fact that the laws are, are vague or are, are very gray, if you will, allows or leaves room for a lot of, uh, you know, uh, interpretation or subject subjective interpretation that often a lot of entities, whether formal or informal, uh, capitalize on, which is a shame because, you know, we have a well of potential in this country. And unfortunately, we are constantly stifled by by uh, by different bodies and different entities, whether it's because you want to protect the reputation of a certain political party or you want to protect a certain political narrative, so on and so forth. Now, um, honestly, another form of censorship I really want to highlight, and this is something that we've that's become more prevalent in the country. Although I acknowledge that there's a lot of unjust practices from the state, there's also a lot of censorship between citizens. So today you, you, you're, we're, we're witnessing the phenomenon of citizen versus citizen censorship. We're seeing the community become very dichotomized. We're seeing the community become very polarized. Um, people are, are, are very supportive of the self-preservation narrative. They're, they're focusing on everything that separates and differentiates us as opposed to things that we have in common. And I think this is creating immense divide and divide that is being used or utilized by political entities and religious entities to benefit their political agenda. And uh, the system as a whole, I think, has taught us to be very weary about anything that does not resemble us or anything that does not mimic or mirror our own belief systems. So it's really a shame to see um, freedom of expression taking very, uh, very, um, how, how do I say this? How do I put this? Uh, a very sad turn, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the public gave the like the authoritarian regime a kind of legitimacy and allowed them to do all of these things. And I'm really impressed by the 2013 uh, play you made, Tota, like written and directed by Lucien Brigeli and produced by March. It was really good. Yeah. It was really amazing. I loved the title. I loved what you were trying to do with it. It was amazing. Do you have like any more information about this? So essentially what we had tried to do through the, the few plays that you mentioned, the first play was, was actually uh, a play that was meant to, to uh, shed light on, on the nature of the censorship system in Lebanon. And uh, ironically, the play was not, uh, was not uh, given approval by the general security. Uh, and they, you know, when we, when we asked for a clarification as to why the play was not, uh, was not uh, accepted or given approval, uh, they mentioned that the play did not uh, mirror realistic, uh, you know, realistic uh, facts or the, the reality of things. And we asked, you know, since when is theater supposed to be realistic? Since when is theater uh, have to mirror real facts? Why can't it be fiction? So they gave us this, you know, this um, very, uh, very, uh, um, very ambiguous response to, to, to our question. And we decided to try things another way. So what we did was, 
we, we created a play called La Yunaxidno, which essentially uh, was a play within a play. So we took the original text of our first play and we put it inside this play as if it was people who were presenting this play to the general security. And ironically, after a lot of pressure and a lot of lobbying, this play passed with all the original text from the play that had not been passed the first time around. So this is to show you the absurdity and, and the, the arbitrary nature of our censorship system in Lebanon. And funnily enough, things that had been, you know, passed on TV and had thousands of views on YouTube or whatever had not been accepted by the general security. So ironically, you know, this is to even show you more how things can, can, can be, um, you know, very, uh, very black and white and sometimes very gray in this country. So, like, do you oppose like any type of censorship? Because most of the reasons that the general security it opposes a kind of film is because of like religion or maybe because of an enemy of Lebanon. So, you, are you against any any form of censorship? So, so essentially, let me cl- clarify something. Even in the guidelines of censorship, you know, even when you review the text, the legal text that kind of you know state what are the elements that are subject to censorship. Once you read the legalities, you realize that even the legalities themselves are very vague. So when you say, you know, something that affects religious beliefs or something that, you know, um, concepts that are very, they're very vague and they're very, uh, they're very wide. How can you narrow down to one concept? What falls under that? So we're not saying that censorship in all its forms is, is, is negative. Censorship sometimes in certain contexts is essential to protect certain, uh, certain national interests. If we're talking about someone who is coming outright and talking about uh, philosophies that can go against the state entity itself, obviously, you know, narratives that can be considered as high treason, obviously. But when you're talking about someone who has, you know, a, 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 a theater play about... Um, maybe a, a, a nun or someone else that has, you know, uh, a movie about, uh, you know, a, a gay couple or someone else that has a movie about uh, the Lebanese war. Th- these are things that cannot be ca- cannot be censored because ultimately it is a form of self, self-expression. So to give you an example of the absurdity, uh, I, I think you've, know, you've heard of, of the movie Puss in Boots, which is an animated movie. Uh, it's, it's one of the sequels of Shrek. And it was actually only allowed to pass in Lebanon if the title changed. And they actually changed the title to Cat and Boots because they said that, okay, Puss is not something that we will be able to pass because it goes against the morals and the principles of the country. So th- this is to show you the absurdity over an animated movie that was shown all around the world for kids. I, as a citizen, have the right to choose what I wish to expose myself to and will then have to assume the consequences of that. I cannot, as a state, stifle my citizens' right to actually make a choice because that goes against every single pillar of democracy, which we in our constitution proclaim we are. We clearly state that we are a democratic state. So to do this would go against our constitution, essentially. Yeah. Can we just know like 50 shades of grey and all the sequels? Exactly. Exactly. Other movies that t- tackle about the Catholic Church, for example, I think remember Spotlight tackled the scandal of child yes. molestation yes. in the Catholic Church. I thought that because it's really unreasonable. Yeah, for sure. And so recently, March has launched David Dahab Construction, but Cope, 
which is Lebanon's first contracting and construction social enterprise, which is huge and amazing. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us more about this amazing project? Yes. So essentially, this this is a project that, you know, has been um, alive and well since 2019. We launched it back in July 2019. It recently was, you know, greatly activated following the Beirut blast, because as you mentioned, Lilia, it's a construction and uh, contracting social enterprise. So what we do is we provide construction and contracting services and we rehabilitate and renovate, uh, you know, uh, shops and, and uh, buildings that have been affected by the blast. Currently, this is our current mandate. But obviously, Betco as a whole aims at providing construction and con- and contracting social uh, uh, con- contracting services. Sorry, um, Betco started as an extension of our program. As I mentioned, our program is a rehabilitation and reintegration program. Uh, one of the fundamental pillars of this program is capacity building and on-the-job vocational training. And um, when we first started the program, one of the fundamental uh, capacity building workshops we had was construction. So after a while, we said, okay, listen, we've been at this program for a while. We know that these youths are benefiting from the program while they're with us, but we'd love to give, you know, what we're doing, our impact, more sustainability. And the idea was to actually create an initiative that would provide some sustainability to these youths following their, you know, their, their, their journey with March. So after they graduate from the program, essentially, how would they be able to continue or uh, continue their journey of change? And, you know, primarily one of the main issues in these communities and these marginalized communities is the lack of employment opportunities. So we wanted to create uh, an initiative that would allow to generate sustainable income for these communities, provide a source of of financial revenue for these communities while uh, while also serving these communities. Uh, Betco is not for profit. We do not generate any, uh, any profits. Our margin of profits are used or reused to to sustain these youths. And at the same time, we invested into the communities to help support the communities. So we're not a for-profit company, that's just to clarify. And uh, we're currently, as I mentioned, we're currently participating in the Beirut relief efforts. We've renovated over 60 shops, uh, micro enterprises. Uh, We are currently working, as I mentioned, on the Beirut civil defense unit of Manara, which is at the old lighthouse. And uh, Betco is taking on uh, a lot of projects currently, and we're continuing to 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 expand our mandate. But um, you know, it's it's essentially the youth coming together from Beirut and Tripoli and working on rehabilitation and reconstruction projects. Okay, how did the incidents received COVID-19 affect your yearly schedule, and what was your immediate response to all these like, events that affected the population? So honestly, I think just like everybody else, COVID-19 really <laughs> reshuffled things for us. And, uh, you know, in Lebanon, COVID-19 was, was I think, the least of our concerns with everything that was happening. There was the economic collapse, the events of October, of, of October 2019, you know, just the deterioration of the overall ecosystem was, was really hard on us as an organization. When you have, um, you know, when you have a, a, an organization, you need to set a yearly, a yearly schedule or at least map out your activities over the course of a year to create some sort of structure and, and create and track your impact. So when you have a lot of, of unexpected circumstances come your way, you find it very hard to to, uh, to 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 mitigate, if you will. There's only so much you can do to try to figure out how to uh, create contingency plans, create uh, crisis management uh, strategies. So it's, it's very challenging. 
Yeah, and here at Simply Youth, we really want to promote a culture of diversity, initiative, and leadership among Lebanese youth. And we hope that talking to organizations just like March would be inspiring. So we want to thank you so much for joining us today. We truly loved having you and enjoyed every minute of this conversation. And we hope our audience enjoyed and benefited from it as much as we did. So again, thank you so much and good luck in all your future work. And we wish you all thank the Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you, guys. So it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.